Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist. I help my clients look out 5, 10, and 20 plus years so that people can build a more strategically planned, better future for all. And today I'm incredibly excited to, in our new episode of the podcast, uh, to welcome Tracy Follows. Tracy is a professional futurist and she identifies future trends that will shape our world. Her clients have included Telefonica, Google, Sky, Farfetch, Condé Nast, and Virgin. She's spoken at UNHQ in New York, delivered her TEDx at the UK Foreign Commonwealth Office, and closed at events such as Think with Google. She writes her own contributor column in Forbes, and her opinions are regularly sought after by national media around the world. Tracy is also a member of the Association of Professional Futurists, World Future Studies Federation, and she's also a fellow of the RSA, which I've just become, so that's very exciting. Uh, her first book, The Future of You, Can Your Identity Survive 21st Century Technology, which is published by Elliot and Thompson, and has just come out, uh, is, is, a, is an exciting read that takes us from knowing you to destroying you and everything in between. And Tracy, welcome to the podcast, Finally We Talk. Yes. Oh, thank you, Nick. That's such a generous intro. And um, I'm very flattered and privileged to be considered an exponential mind. <laughs> an exponential mind. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, putting ourselves in a situation where we can challenge people to say, you know what, the world's going to move a lot faster than you think is exactly uh, what, what, what we're here to do. And that's why I started the podcast like five years ago now. It's, it's, it's exciting to speak to you as well. Tracy, I would love to get a little bit of background as I ask all, all our guests uh, as to how you, how you became a futurist and what your journey was to, to that point and what motivated you to write your book, The Future of You. It's interesting in that I've never had a plan for anything, which you can probably gather from the, the chaotic way in which the last sort of 20, 25 years have, have panned out for me. I, I went, when I went to university, I studied philosophy. Um, so clearly I didn't have a job in mind. Um, I couldn't believe that you could go and kind of study space and time and sit around talking about it all day. Um, so I thought this is wonderful. I'll never get this um, opportunity again. So I did that and um, I didn't go into another job. I actually stayed to do a master's in technology policy, um, which again, when I left, wasn't hugely um, useful. Um, so it was kind of science and technology policy, but now it is incredibly useful. And all the way in between, I went into advertising and marketing. That's where I ended up as an account man in agencies and then as a client, always for tech brands actually, kind of T-Mobile, BT, one-to-one, -one, um, always for sort of telco and tech brands and retail actually, always interested in retail. And um, ended up as CSO at JWT and was, you know, still in the marketing and advertising world really, but back agency side. And it was then when I was starting to develop this idea that, hang on a minute, 
by the time clients have delved around and investigated and identified an insight, by the time they've actually actioned it, it's far too late. So I was already thinking about foresight and I actually took the planning, the market intelligence department in JWT and turned it from market intelligence into planning foresight and reinvented that. And I was just getting more into it. I was always doing trends and innovation and, and decided, actually, I think from what I'm reading, you can do this as a full time job. So right. it was a bit like when I was studying philosophy. I can't believe you can sit around and talk about space and time. I can't believe that you can spend your time with people, with innovators and looking at trends and researching and talking to people about the future 30 years hence. And of course you can. And I found the community and I ended up going to the University of Houston and doing their course there and, and getting involved in the in the futurist community like you probably, Nick. And uh and leaving my job and, and setting up a company full time. And um, it's just the best thing I ever did. And like all things that you that work out like that, you think, gosh, I wish I'd done it earlier. It, but you can't do it earlier. Exactly. Right? You, you exactly. have to have the, the building blocks is the, is the struggles that you, you've come, come before. I, I don't I don't subscribe to the idea of you've got to have battle scars. And you know what? We've all got battle scars. I would have preferred to have not had the near nervous breakdowns I had delivering oh, tech projects or whatever. Right? It, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. It, future. I think futures and foresight study is additive to the things that we've done before. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, it's a bit like when Plato's saying you can't be a you can't be a philosopher king until you're at least fifty years old, <clears throat> or or a philosopher queen actually. Um, but you, it's a bit like futuring. Yes, you, of course you can do it when you're younger. But I wonder whether it is when you're older and you've accumulated enough experience in different areas and known lots of different collaborators that maybe you get the most out of it, both for yourself and your clients, um, yeah. because. You know, you've, you've connected a lot of dots along the way. And, and it, it, it's collecting the things that so that you don't repeat mistakes as well, right, along the way. I mean, I think that more than anything else, when you're an advisor like yourself, uh, you, you it, it, people hire you so that they don't screw up, right? They, like, they, they bring people in to speak so that they can learn things quickly and easily because the, the ground has been trodden on, right? It's, it's the way. It's interesting because when I did start up, I mean, obviously, probably like yourself, I don't know, but most of my clients or the people that came to me were people who I'd worked with four years or years yeah. before, years ago. Um, so there were people that you already had a, a trusting relationship with. You know, you tell them the truth. They would know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And and that's how it all started, really. So particularly with the, the piece with Virgin and Google, there were people I'd worked with before in advertising and marketing. Right. And then very quickly, you move on to other things and, and broaden out your, your client base, I suppose. But I was always forever grateful for those kind of founding clients like Telefonica who, you know, took me in and, and uh, gave me a chance to work on projects with them. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Like Telefonica, I started in uh, telecoms billing years and years and years ago, <laughs> like 20 plus years ago. And, uh, you know, working in te telecommunications and high tech and companies like uh, Virgin and, and their approach to running their business, right? I mean, Richard Branson isn't in every business all over. No, no, he, he delegates, he bring, he, he's built a community of his people. They love it. I did some work with Virgin Holidays in Crawley, mm -hmm. beautiful place in the south of England. And um, the CEO was brilliant. And do you know who, who's the best person to run a holidays company? Um, someone that used to basically be a rep at a resort and she didn't have a computer and she did it all by phone and on paper and she ran an incredibly successful business. And, and you know, you start seeing this and collecting these stories uh, of these companies and it's like, 
you know, this techno-utopian sort of fetishistic approach of like Im implement these systems and the world yeah. will be great are kind of all, all are all shattered by the fact that at the center is this soft, squishy, gooey humanness. Yeah, that's important. It's, it's interesting you say that because I suppose I've always ended up working with people, being part of teams that people that are pretty entrepreneurial. They can see right. the opportunities on the horizon, and they just and they are looking for some help in terms of how do you turn those possibilities and opportunities into something more concrete. Um, and and I think lots of those companies you're referring to, and the ones I am, that they are entrepreneurial. They can see those opportunities, those emerging markets, and new consumer values and need states opening up. Yeah, and they can move quickly as well. I mean. Like I'm sure you've worked with a number of companies in the last year. Companies that are willing to move quickly, invest, know that it's tough times, and mm. knowing that, that there's going to be a new world out the back of it, one way or the other, right? Yeah. Well, um, there's the, plan the, A, there's, there's not... plan B, then there's plan C, and now there's plan D. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Talking about scenarios. Then, then, yeah. And then there's plan X, which which never existed before, and then suddenly, you know, the, the world changes. So so let's let's get into your book. Because I, I, I read through this book and, and it's, there's lots of good stuff in there. Um, you, you know, you're probably quite provocative um, throughout the book, getting people to think about things, right? I mean, this is very much like there's technology and there's humanity, there's identity. But you're pretty progressive in terms of how you're talking about identity in there, right? I mean... Identity is actually a huge field these days with like the ascension of uh, social media and the prevalence of, of what people are seeing as the surveillance state, whether that's government sponsored or corporate sponsored, right? You know, wh where are we today um, with, with our identities? What, what is the human identity in 2021? Mm, that is, I think it's quite fractured. And I think you'll see from the beginning of the book, anyone who picks it up, that I talk about it as distributed identity or a distributed you. That's how I start off, even before the first chapter, that our identities are fragmented, decentralized, distributed in lots of different places. And so really, um, I think one of the conclusions to jump to jump to the conclusions is that when you look around at the debates that are happening now on on identity, they seem to be a bit stuck in the past, I think. And they're still circulating around the question of authenticity. You know, right. what is the authentic self? OK, that is a very interesting and important philosophical problem or debate. But more interesting to me is what is the integrity of the self? How do we manage and control and keep ourselves together when the self is literally distributed across across the world wide web and isn't necessarily 100 percent in our control? Now, maybe it's never been 100 percent in our control, even in the analog world, but it makes it in a connected or interconnected world much more difficult to navigate like everything it's a complex system now so what does that mean for how we approach it so that's one of the things I'm looking at in the book um, and you're right in terms of provoking people because I thought long and hard and discussed with the publishers about what the title underneath the future of you should be and I was quite keen for it to be a question I wanted I didn't want it to be a statement because I want people to think about the possible potential futures you know and right. where we're going and where we could go so can your identity survive 21st century technology question mark was really important to me that it was an invitation to get this debate going and for individuals to think about their own personal identity in their own individual lives 
Yeah, and and you know, I I think that people are um, thinking about that. I I just did a TV interview last Friday, and it was about um, workplace surveillance. Mm. And one of the things one of the things I I sort of ended with was like I think that if a company's considering this, I think they should consider like turning the camera on themselves and considering who they are, and yes. and oftentimes. It, it, I mean, your whole book is coming back to your identity and, and then you sort of feed in ideas for you to think about what your identity is. And I, it, we, we're almost in a world that, that sort of lost identity in a way, right? I, I read a really interesting uh, article the other day and it was talking about um, the loss of context and time. Yes. We, 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 you know, we've got access to everything. Every, you know, we've got access to all the music, all the videos, all the movies, all, all the books in the world. Uh, we've got access to all the great minds um, to, you know, share their thoughts, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through video and whatever. And, and you know, back in the day, you'd have to go to a library, you'd have to rent a, a film, you'd have to do whatever. And there was sort of a low, a longer, slower consideration of the information that we're, that we're bringing in. And now it's like a fire hose of information and, and it's almost like the fire hose is stripping away what our identity is and, and we've just become become consumers, right? Yes, that, that's a good insight. I mean, I think in the past, that identity would be anchored, if you like, it would be anchored in the nation state or a local community, your profession right. or your job, um, and also maybe a legal identity, whatever papers you, you had, you know, like your, your birth um, certificate or your wedding certificate or something. And that was it really. And now increasingly it's like we're in the digital virtual worlds as well as the analog world. And literally you can create, shape and explore any identity you like. You can have many alternative identities. And I think what's happening is like with so many things, the, the reality and the narrative are completely decoupled now. So it doesn't really matter what the reality is sitting be behind something. As long as the narrative is coherent, it's almost like the correspondence theory of truth doesn't really apply anymore. It's just the coherence theory of truth. As long as it all hangs together and it feels interesting and engaging, it's pretty appealing to people. So that is interesting when you're in the virtual world, but when you come back out into the real world, you're a little bit confused probably about your identity and where the boundaries are and um, how connected or not you should be. I mean, literally when I was even two or three years ago, um, first researching sort of virtual reality with some Gen Z, Gen Z, I suppose you can call them consumers, if you like, or users. One of the biggest outputs of learnings was they were saying, well, it's an immersive environment. I'm quite worried. How do I get out? I, how do I switch it off? And I think that is really one of the questions for just our everyday lives now you know everything's coming at us like you say it's an incredibly mediated environment everything's interconnected how do I switch it off <laughs> I'm not sure there's an answer <laughs> no absolutely and I mean you talk about transhumanism in the book and like we've become we've become technology and technology has become us away you know and you talk about Roy Amara's law right the Amara's mm -hmm. law you know in in the short term we overestimate the impact of technology right it's like, yeah. oh, you know, here comes the futurist with their with their big ideas on the future. But in the long term, we we desperately underestimate the impact of technology. But it, it's kind of seems like the gap between the overestimation and the underestimation is getting smaller, right? It seems like you can overestimate, and then two years later, it's like, whoa, everyone's buying electric cars, or whoa, you know, Tesla's deployed self-driving to seven hundred thousand vehicles. Whoa, you know, and it's a uh, 
<laughs> sort of be, become really interesting. And but mm. how, how does identity actually uh, transcend that sort of transhumanist approach of we've become the technology? Mm, I don't know whether it does actually. So one of the conclusions is I do a little equation, which is, you know, the self is now, you know, my my psychology plus my biology divided by my technology in that technology is really part inherently part of the self now so it isn't an external thing sitting on a, a smartphone a device that you can hold in your hand it literally is i guess you know a disappear disappearable in your body an ingestible um, an implant yeah. oh, well, well i interviewed you for that right for the book and yeah. we talk about that in the book so really it is part and parcel of the self now and one of the provocations is oh well what does that mean then because literally technology could be dividing the self it could be dividing the self the sense of self you have as an individual talk about that a lot in the book but also there's also a a context question could it be dividing society because there is that age-old question of not everybody will be able to afford or find some of this technology accessible so what kind of species can we imagine in the future is it one where we have created new tribes and new divisions um and, and actually we've got a, we might have a more coherent sense of uh, an identity, but a less coherent society. I don't know, you know, these are some of the implications that, as you say, these are further out, but they should be explored now so we can work back and make the right decisions that we need to today. It, 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 I, I kind of think technology and humanity have kind of gone hand in hand for a long, long time, right? Once we, you know, 10,000 years ago, we, we started yes. to form into settlement. So someone had to, you know, do, do build agriculture. <laughs> yeah, build the fire, do the agriculture. And, you know, even, even in the UK, we, we both grew up in the UK. If you think about when, when we were growing up, you know, how much were you identified by, you know, the tool that you held in your hand? Oh, they're, they're an engineer. You know, they're a farmer. They're a laborer. Oh, they're an accountant. Oh, you're a computer technician. And then everyone thinks that you're a computer technician, even though you do a million different things, right? So suddenly, you know, we do have these tools and, and we do have these things. And, and, and this idea of the identity is what you call it, a polymorphic code. Mm. is super interesting, right? But that code could be could could base it, it operates in, as an algorithm that, that that changes on a day-to-day basis right mm, so i i thought about this idea of the polymorphic code i put it in at the end of the book and then i took it out again and then the editor <laughs> questioned it and i went Do you know what after thinking about it i'm putting it back in it's the original thought actually right. but you i did ponder it a while because i was thinking does it make sense to people the thing i was trying to express was that we are living through these different portals and these different nodes of this networked community. So even though we might have a very integrated self sitting at my desk like this in the physical real world, I want to arrive somewhere in the virtual world um, as, as a coherent self, but I might go through different routes. So the idea of a polymorphic code is that you can kind of send out your identity, but using different channels um, and connecting different different elements together but when you end up at your destination you'll still be the coherent self you were so it's like you could go polymorphic code is like it could be the algorithm can change it could be three three plus three equals six or it could be eight minus two equals six it doesn't really matter the route you take it's can you still can you still arrive at your destination in as an integrated entity 
So when we go through these machinations and thinking about, you know, whether it's polymorphic codes and ourselves as algorithmic sort of functions mm. in a way, which is actually deeply humanistic in a way, because, you know, you'd eat some food, you feel a certain way, you listen to music, you feel a certain way, you have a conversation, you feel a certain way and whatever. How do we protect our identities in the 21st century? I mean, just prior to you know, uh, me hitting the record button, you were saying, oh, I got rid of my television and it's been a savior during the past year or so, right? How, how, do, yeah. how do we go about, you know, what, 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 what are like the two or three things that you'd advise people that are listening to this to do to, to mm. preserve their identity in this new world, even though we're being hit by content and technology? Do you know, it's, that's an interesting, no one's asked me that question yet, that's interesting. Um, but I think I'll take some inspiration from, looking at, as I do in the book, the otaku from um, Japan and that sort of yeah. manga anime um, world. <clears throat> and what they do, of course, is they understand the self as, as character and as a, as a complex set of characteristics. And I just wonder if we should stop thinking, of course, we want an integrated self to some extent, but we should stop thinking of it as the big blob, the self, and it's all of the characteristics, the mo elements that connect right. different ways through different pathways to make up the you. So for me, when you were talking about me getting rid of my telly, I could feel that I was being manipulated through rolling news, mainstream media, bodies piling up in hospital. And over the time, I was thinking, this isn't what I want to see, but also it's yeah. not giving a fair reflection of everything else I'm experiencing in life and what my family is telling me or friends or in different locations. And I actually got rid of the telly and I haven't watched Rolling News since, well, the uh, probably like around about um, June, May, June um, at all. And I think that saved my sanity because I then sought out the kinds of information and the different viewpoints and opinions that I wanted that I wanted to. And it was long form content or it was, you know, I get the FT delivered every day. You know, I didn't want to sit in front of the flickering rolling news that was showing me a movie that I wasn't really sure was the movie I wanted to see or even the movie that related to reality. Um, and it's the same with digital identity, for example. So there's the big debate about vaccine certificates right now and health passporting. Rather than listening just to a mass mainstream message, which is very polarised, it's either you're anti-vax or you're pro this sort of, you know, surveillance state, papers please. Actually, somewhere in the middle, there's a very practical option about using your right. smartphone to download some decentralised you know, digital identity apps and take control of your own life. And so right. these are some of the things I think we should be doing, doing our own research, speaking to people that we seek out um, and, and not necessarily relying on the, you know, um, the sound bites, the kind of snackable content, if you like, that's not going to ever give you the full story. Yeah, it's 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 like the idea of digital um, digital dignity, right? That Jaron Lanier and, and people like that talk about. It's like, well, if if you if you've got a smartphone that's collecting data and you go about your your daily life, at the end of the day, you've create you you've bled data, you've got all of this information, then you deserve to own it. And then yeah. you deserve to know how that's being used and applied and whatever. I, I know Microsoft are, are looking to, you know, explore this idea. You know, yeah, the, the network. Mm. Yeah, they they want to build a network, don't they? Like, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, it, it's not just the, the individual apps. They want to connect it all up so they own that kind of layer. 
<laughs> right? I don't and want I, him to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, well, I, I just read today, Microsoft uh, may be in the game to buy Dispo, which is like, you know, gamer conversations and whatever, because, you know, owning the Xbox isn't enough. You need to know the context and whatever. And, and then suddenly we can connect with people and we can sell them more stuff. And, you know, I've done work with Microsoft before. They're actually a fantastic company. Oh, yeah. I mean, I the first company I sat in a room, I sat in a room with a very senior, like the most senior consumer, um, no, sorry, a business a marketing person I think I ever sat in a room with like three billion dollar budget or something like that and you know the amount of money they were just spending to switch opinion and shift opinion mm. and it's actually interesting you get to 2021 the whole world is just about shifting opinion a little bit and if you can just mm -hmm. dial it a little bit this way and dial it a little bit that way you can ultimately shift the identity of the people that want to you know, to, to use your products or, or use your competitors' products. So you ultimately influence their identity in a way. I mean, you talk yeah. about influencers, that, that's, that's guns for hire. You talk about advocates and in advertising, as you know this, oh yeah, let's create a million advocates. It's like, no one cares about your brand that much. No one. Yes, mm -hmm. there might be people that are excited about Nike or Tesla, but you know what? They don't go home and eat, you know, make like Tesla pizza pockets. No, but no, that's they, why they've had to. That's why they've had to invent computer-generated ones, so that you know you can sell in the brand you like, and then you've got the you know, avatar influencer that you like, and oh, what a beautiful marriage! And somehow you can monetize that, and you know circumvent reality altogether. You know, we're we're in a weird world. <laughs> oh, we could talk about this for about eight hours, but like, um, I. People that share pictures of their newborn children on Twitter is like, I think, probably the lowest rung of modern identity management in the world, which is like, I'm now a parent. I must share this with the world. Here's a picture of my child that's three days old, maybe even less, uh, maybe even hours old. That, that I now Twitter owns a picture of my child at like four hours old. And suddenly I've given my child away to, you know, to, to the techno gods. And I all. think that's a really interesting point because it's before the child is born. It's the scan oh. of the fetus. It literally is. And I talk about this in the book. There's some fascinating academic work on this, which is literally when does the identity and when is the first selfie? And I was like, well, the first selfie, bizarrely, isn't taken by you these days. It's taken before you're even born. It's the scan that comes back from the hospital. And then you get the parents talking about, oh, it looks like him. It looks like her. Literally giving it a separate identity, even though it is not yet physically separate. And the UK Children's Commissioner... In the UK, did a report a couple of years ago which showed that by the age of 13, the average child has had 1,300 images of themselves um, sent all over the internet, videos, photos, whatever, by their own parents. Um, and, and one has to wonder what on earth that is about and, and where the payoff is, because it isn't surely in the interest of the child. So I've got a <laughs> seven and a half month old kid. I don't share that information. If, if people want to see a picture, I get them to send me, you know, their phone number. I send, I send them something through, through Signal or something like that, right? And I was on a phone conversation. I was like, yeah, we're really happy. You know, this is with my parents, really happy that, you know, no one's sharing pictures of Maxi online. And my dad looked very sheepishly down at the monitor. And he goes, yeah, maybe except that one time on Facebook. And I was like, Aww. oh my God. 
God. So, oh. and that's it. But yeah. your identity is distributed. Like my yeah. identity is my father's identity. My my son's identity is all of our identities, you know, that, that live, uh, live on in perpetuity. <laughs> which so, is one of the reasons, which yeah. one of the reasons that it makes it so understandable that people, or teens, um, young people's, more so but not exclusively leap into these virtual games and these environments to explore their own identity and one of the other things i found was that the reason for that is that they the weight of expectations in the real world from other people forcing an identity on them whether it's their parents or teachers or or whatever it might be the pressure these days on that generation to you know fulfill the potential of the identity that seems to have been almost created for them in the real world is too much and they go into these virtual worlds and it's a great release there's no rules you can be who you want you can be a completely different person person and you can explore alternative identities and I think that's um, a really interesting trend and I do wonder a lot of the time about where that's going to take us in in the future. Yeah I I think there's a liberation in there as well and you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there talking about uh ableist futures and queer futures and you know trans and we've got family members that are going through transition right a whole bunch of different things and it, it's enabled because people can truly be who they want to be i mean we both grew up in the uk and the conversation is like as, as, a, as a male in the uk is like what football team do you support is mm. like that is that identity thing that's historical and it's like well my dad played professional football and I, I don't like football and uh, soccer for people uh, listening to this uh, that aren't from the UK. Uh, and it's like, but yeah, are, are you a Manchester United supporter? Are you a Liverpool supporter? And it's like, oh, you know, and it's like the mm. deep, deep cultural identities in groups of people, the idea of de-individuation, the idea of an anonymity. I don't know. We, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a deep subject. So in your, your book is knowing you, watching you, creating you, connecting you, replacing you, enhancing you, destroying you, and we we've touched on a bunch of uh, on a bunch of these things. We can we can probably talk about this forever. And I think I, I'm going to I want to invite you back at some point because I think we should talk about the future of advertising and marketing because we got oh, into yeah. that. Oh, you think there is one. Oh, well, discuss, right? Discuss. Uh, but, you know, uh, if, if, if you're listening to this, go out and buy the book. It's fa- fantastic. The Future of You, Can Your Identity Survive the 21st Century Technology? Uh, follow Tracy on Twitter. Uh, opinions, like insights, uh, arguments, questions. Uh, I enjoy following you on Twitter and interacting. And it's taken me a while. I've been hassling you for a long time to come on the podcast. I'm glad we waited until now. I could read your book and go into it. Where where else can people uh, find out a little bit more about you, Tracy? Um, Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Tracy Futures. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, You can always connect with me there. I'm just starting a new sort of future view website and blog where I can catalog lots of ideas um, and stimulus that people uh, might have about the future of you and their own identity and we'll try and capture some of that in video format and put it on there so we'll create future of you turn it into a property i think and start to explore this and get the debate going so this is a great um start to that and thank you nick no thank you so much for your, for your time tracy um everyone go and check that out um you know subscribe to the exponential minds podcast we're everywhere so you can find us on on your platform du jour wherever you want to be and tracy thank you so much It's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Nick.